0: Where we are today is we're going to talk about this idea of missional drift. What I mean by that is it's very common in organizations as change is happening, as things are happening, that you drift away from your original uh, mission, your original purpose for existing. And I think that we've done that as microchurches. And so I feel called to two things. One, I feel called to place on my heart. to, to speak, not place on my heart, to speak to you um, some of this that's been placed on my heart. Through this, I'm, I'm a little distraught about some of it. Um, if I'm honest, and so please, Jesus, don't let me go too far. Um, with what I have to say, I'm not distraught at you guys. I'm a little distraught at with what I've allowed to happen in the midst of this. Um, but let me start by talking about my friends, Austin and Cody. Um, Austin is a girl, um, Southern name. Sometimes you get the name Austin there. Um, but what's really weird when you get to my age is some of your friends start having babies. And uh, <laughs> she just, Austin and Cody just had a, a little baby boy. Uh, so here's some pictures a little baby boy. You can Hi. see. Um, little baby. It's so ugly. <laughs> yeah. Charlie, the oh, mic doesn't pick up pictures, man. <laughs> no, the mic <Mike> doesn't <laughs> pick up pictures, Bailey. Um, but what's... Um, this story, it's been so weird. I haven't seen Austin since college. Since I, Well, I haven't seen Austin since Milena graduated college. And um, Austin and Cody, when they got married, they had um, certain medical things that happened where it was impossible for them um, to have a child. Um, she uh, And... And I won't go into a ton of detail about that, but the the only way they could actually it experienced she had to experience a lot of pain for it. But they had this procedure, um, and then they tried to have a kid, and in that time they had a certain period of time, which uh to to have a kid, if you want details about that, I'm not gonna tell you about how that works. Um But uh they they got pregnant, which she was so ecstatic about. And I got to watch via social media um, this story of of her pregnancy. And then just recently, this was um, September 30th was when he was born, Um, her son Rowan being born. And it's been adorable to look at Instagram. Um, And I have never felt via somebody else so much love for a little human being before. Um, Because This means the world to her, um, that she had the opportunity with her husband to bring um, a child to life. Um, And she expresses it via her Instagram feed, which is why I'm showing you some of these pictures um, so beautifully. Because they had to go through a lot of pain to do that. And and I tell you that because according to Scripture, Luke 15.10 tells us that when one sinner repents, the angels get lit, right? Like heaven... Heaven, yes, heaven goes crazy. Um, The angels get so excited that when one, one person is brought to life and somehow in God's design, he allows parents to play a key role in the birth of a child. And somehow by God's design, he wants to use you to play a role in the spiritual life of new people. But the reality is um, Luke ten to many of us are missing out our lives don 't make sense because we love Jesus and we want to tell people about Jesus, but Luke ten tells us that many of us don 't the, the 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 harvest is plentiful, but the workers. Are few And and what I want to talk about today is I feel like we've drifted from our mission of why we do microchurch. And so I'm going to talk about some history of the church. Maybe that's a little bit boring for you guys. Please just focus in. Take notes. Then it won't be as boring probably. First, Luke chapter 4, verses 17 through 21. Um, can someone go ahead and read that out loud for me? And so a little bit of context. Jesus right now is going to speak out loud his mission of why he came. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He then rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down, and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. He began by saying to them, Today, as you listen, the scripture has been fulfilled. Yeah, so why did Jesus come? To proclaim freedom to the captives, to preach the good news to the poor, to give the blind sight. Yeah, so who did he come for? He came for the poor. He came for prisoners. He came for the blind. He came for the oppressed to proclaim the year that God has favor. you mean like like prisoners to sin and blind to the truth and stuff? Or does he mean like, I mean obviously literally, but also... Yeah, I think both. Yeah, I think he definitely means literally. Um, Israel is captive to Rome, but I think where the Israelites really missed it is they thought Jesus was going to be a revolutionary who was going to set them free from Rome. but who he was is the Son of God to set God's people free from their sin. Um, And we're going to talk about that a little bit through 2 Corinthians 5, which we're going to look at later. But lostness is possibly the worst kind of poverty. I just want you to think that for a second. To not know that God loves you is probably the worst kind of poverty that we can experience. And what Christ has come for, and what I'm going to argue with you today is the purpose of the church, is for people to know that. to to no longer be lost, but to be found, to know that God loves them deeply. And what I'm a little bit concerned about is that I'm worried, um, there's these two words, centrifugal and centripetal. So if you've taken physics, centripetal force is the force that pulls something to the center of an orbit. So think of a toilet flushing. The toilet has centripetal force where everything's being brought to the center in that spinning, right? Right. And so when everything's being brought to the center, I think our churches very often, our microchurches very often are, can quickly turn into a centripetal force where really the purpose of us living is for Christian ministries, actually to minister to Christians, to make Christians feel good about themselves. And we're constantly looking inward. But Jesus and the church has always been designed to be a centrifugal force. To so be a force that's spinning in such a way where things are being sent outward, where Christians are punching into darkness, where light is being found, where, where the poor are being made rich, where the oppressed are being set free, where the blind are being made to see. And I'm thinking maybe we need some direction. Maybe we need to remember what our purpose is here today. And, and what I want to tell us that the point of your life, every one of you in this room, every one of you listening, the point of your life is to point people to Jesus. So the point of your life is to point people to Jesus. And our greatest fear should not be a failure, but rather our greatest fear should probably be succeeding at something in life that doesn't really matter. Now we're going to come back to that because I think for us to really do that well, we need to clarify some things and we need some clarity. Um, I'm using alliteration today, so forgive me for those of you who don't like preachers who use alliteration. But we need clarity in our mentality, we need clarity in our message, and we need clarity in our mission. Um, Before I go to that, I do want to talk a little bit about some history of the church and why microchurch, why now? Um, I think it's an important question for us to ask. So, Church planting is something that really interests me that I study through um, a lot of, I just Facebook messaged a theology professor today and I know I'm a nerd because I was so excited that he actually responded to me. This guy, he's like really famous, like he's written a lot of books and he responded to my Facebook message. Um, (laughs) What's that? C.S. Lewis. No. (laughs) Pastor Joel. No, not Pastor Joel. (laughs) Pastor Joel doesn't have a Facebook. His wife might respond to me, but. um, Also, sorry for my, yeah kind of gross but uh so some history really quick uh world war ii happened and after world war ii we had this new thing happen in america that had never happened before um suburbs began getting built all the gi's started returning to america um, and through gi bills they were given the opportunity to buy homes outside of the cities um, and so for the first time in American history, we have suburbs popping up literally around the entire nation. Not just one pocket, but millions of GIs are coming home and moving into the suburbs. Now when that happens, we have this first model of church planting begin to exist. Because when a bunch of people moved into those suburbs, all, the to- all of a sudden you have a lot of people who are Methodist. So we have all these people who are Methodist. Methodist is the largest denomination. in in denominational America at the time, yeah, um, the Methodists would be there, and so they'd be like, well, we need a Methodist church. And so we had this franchise model of church expansion where the franchise of this denominational church would then just go out there, they'd hire an ordained minister, and then you'd plant a Methodist church there. Then the Baptists would say, well, we want a church out here too. We're living out here. We want a church. And so the Baptists would go and and they would plant a baptized church. So franchise model church building. You guys understand what I'm saying? Like maybe you saw that movie Founder with McDonald's. It's it's a similar mindset, this idea of building out a franchise. We're just going to move our church there because that's where our people are. Now, later, something happened with the baby boomers generation. Um, The baby boomers is not quite your parents, probably a little bit older than that, but your parents probably fall in some of these similar generational demographics. And you guys probably grew up in a church that was a part of this next church planting movement. And you're gonna be familiar with what I'm talking about when you start hearing it, is a lot of the baby boomers no longer wanted to get up on Sunday mornings. They were like, it's not worth it. It's hard for me to get up that early. I don't see why why I should go to my Baptist church. Um, And so they stopped going, and then what happened was this church planting movement began with what I'm going to call the relevant church planting movement. Um, and, and what this was trying to do is it was trying to make the church more relevant to people who were no longer going to church. Dechurched is what some people have called it. Um, And in this movement, as they were making the relevant church, um, a lot of what was happening was people were surveying areas. And so they would go in and they would survey a group of people and they'd say, so you don't go to church right now. What would it take? for us to plant a church that you would go to. And in this movement, um, now, I'm I'm overly summarizing all of this and making it maybe a little too analytical. If I scare you, please talk to me afterwards because this is really analytical, but it's honest, and I think you need to know it. Um, In this movement, they would hear, well, I want to hear sermons that are actually relevant to my life. And so they'd be like, okay, we're going to preach a sermon on five tips on why Christians can date better. Um, okay, we're going to preach a sermon on five tips for how to improve your business. We're going to preach a sermon on, you know, these types of topically-based sermons. So this is the first time we see topically-based sermon instead of book-based sermons um, in order to be relevant to the culture. And so this church-planting movement was saying, hey, culture is where it's at, and churches need to adapt to this culture. We need to become relevant in order for people to start coming to our churches. And I believe... Pretty strongly that the majority of people who come to this are actually people who who have been engaged in the church at some point. Um, The majority of the people who want a cooler band or a, um, you know, they want a song where they can remember the words because it's catchy, or they want a sermon that really convicts them that, that sends them home feeling a certain kind of way. These are people who are actually longing for church in the first place. And so then, in mid-2000, we kind of get this next movement of church planting coming. Because what actually happens in mid-2000, you guys didn't notice it as much here in Florida, but across the vast majority of the rest of the United States, we moved into this season of what we call post-Christendom. What that means is, especially evangelicals and, and a lot of mainline Protestants, um, way less people started going to churches. Like, it was no longer good enough for a church to say, hey, we're just going to put a cool coffee shop in there. We're just going to put on this fall festival. We're going to answer your survey questions to get you to go. People stopped going, and so then this created kind of this new church planting movement um, that I'm going to call for the sake of this. I don't really like these words because church is missional, but the missional church planting movement, the mission church. Um And so what this church movement did did is they said, we're not going to look for the people who have already been associated with our denomination. We're not going to look for the people who have already been associated with a church, but are looking for a cooler one. We're actually going to look for people who have never been engaged with Jesus across North America. Um, In this mission church, everything, there was a lot of things that looked similar to the relevant church. Like there's still sermons being preached, the the gospel is still being proclaimed in that there's still gatherings of Christians. There's still, there's still sacraments of Christians happening. But what happens is instead of saying, we're going to tell you, hey, you should come check our thing out. We're going to start existing within a community. And as we exist within a community, we want to be winsome people. We want to get to know our neighbors in such a way that they actually want to know what's going on. And and this idea, this third stream, this third direction, we could talk more about that, but I feel like I'm boring you all. I can see that I'm boring you all, and so I know I'm going to bore everybody else. Um, But this is why microchurch. We did not build microchurches to build a bunch of high school small groups. I don't think high school small groups are a bad thing. I think high school small groups are a good thing. But the reason we're forming micro churches is because I want to form Christian communities in places that are winsome, that, not, that unbelievers can come to life and we can have the angels get lit and we can, we can come to so much joy as we're seeing new life interact on our campus. And so I want to clarify some things. In order for us to do that, we're going to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16. And I think we're going to end in chapter 6, verse 2. Um, So I'm just going to read that. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though once we regarded Christ in this way, we no longer do so. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation so I told you there's three things that I think we need clarity in in order to begin recognizing, coming back to our, our mission of, of what we're in. Um, I know you guys are getting tired, but zone in for me for a second. Eyes up. Um, the first one is this idea of clarity in mentality. So look at chapter 5, verse 16. Paul, this is Paul who once was a Pharisee. He says, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ this way, we do so no longer Paul, as a Pharisee, he didn't associate with Gentiles whatsoever. So so when Paul, before Paul met Jesus, before Paul's life was changed forever, he avoided people who were not on the in crowd with what he thought was the in crowd with God. Now, immediately following his conversion, when the Holy Spirit fell upon him, we see in the next verse that he goes out and he starts preaching to Gentiles. And so... We need to know that if if we really long to see new life coming, the first thing we need clarity in is we need clarity in our mentality of who we are and who the world is. Because see, being cocooned in this Christian bubble of North Orlando is a real thing. Um, It's very easy to do. It's it's very easy to be a part of, to see, hey, they're out there, so I'm going to stay in here. And But what happens is very quickly we become a sponge that's just constantly soaking up water. That like, hey, Monday night, we're going to this Bible study. Tuesday night, we're gonna have this worship practice. Wednesday night, we have youth group. Thursday night, we have this other Bible study that sometimes we go to. Friday night, we're hanging out with our Christian friends and and those cute Christian girls. Saturday night, if you're a girl, maybe, I don't know, however that works, we're we're hanging out with these Christian um, girls and these cute Christian guys. Sunday, we're going to church, and eventually you become a sponge that's just constantly soaking up water. And sponges that are soaking up water just get rampant, like they just get gross. If you've seen them, because sponges were designed to be wrung out, and and, and what we're going to see here in Second Corinthians is the church was designed to be wrung out. Jesus, we see in Mark that he's and in Luke that he's constantly he's sitting amongst the sinners and he's sitting amongst um, the tax collectors and the promiscuous women Um, and Jesus says I came to call sinners right and so he's present with them so I want you to know two things really quick to change your mentality one is if you don't have friends who are not Christians then you need to get some two if you don't spend any meaningful time during the week with people who don't yet know Jesus, you need to change your schedule. 1. If you don't have any friends who are not Christians, then you need to get some. 2. If you don't spend any meaningful time during the week with people who don't yet know Jesus, you need to change your schedule. Change your mentality. Don't be surprised when people who don't know Jesus act like people who don't know Jesus. Don't be surprised when people who don't know Jesus don't look like Jesus. We need to see past people's sin and into their need. What I mean by that is is the, the quickest example I think of off the top of my head. If there is a girl who is dressing way promiscuously, like her body is falling out in every direction of the type of clothes that she's wearing, and all that we're seeing is that we need to change our mentality because we need to actually see the need that she's longing for value and she's putting that value, she's bought into this lie that her value is going to come from her body and f- come from the way other people interact or look at her body, right? Jesus it says he looked at the crowds and he had compassion on them. We need to be looking at the crowds on our comp- campus and have compassion on them. The other thing is, is we need to never stop praying we need to never stop pursuing. We need to be faithful. We need to never believe that someone is far too far away. We need to change our mentality. We need to recognize the needs of people and then be with them. The second thing, read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Um, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. We need some clarity in our message I want you guys to remember what the Christian message is all about. And the Christian message is all about this, that Jesus is in the business of newness. That even in the midst of your fussy times, even in the midst of your messy times, even in the midst of your darkness, He delights in you. He takes pride in you being His child. When we keep reading those verses, um, we see this in, in... Verse 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This verse, this is called the great exchange because see now all that God feels for his son, Jesus, he now feels for you. And all of that sin that was once in you has been taken away. We need clarity in our message that Jesus is in the business of making people anew, of taking their sin, of putting his righteousness on them, that you don't have to be good enough for God because Jesus Christ has already been good enough for you. And so I want you to start thinking. Actually think for a moment right now. Who in your life could really use a new start? Like, close your eyes for a second. And I actually want you to picture that person beside you in class, that person at the lunchroom, that person in your band. Who would enjoy knowing that they don't actually have to be good enough for God? Is anyone pursuing a religion trying to be good enough for God? Picture those people. You guys have the opportunity, you can open your eyes, you guys have the opportunity to share this message with those people. Because they have this need for value that Jesus so graciously has desired to put on them. The third thing that we need, I get this from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, is we need a clarity of mission. I'm going to wrap up here. Um, verse 20 says, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be Reconciled to God. That word reconciled, it, it comes from the idea, we still use this in English this way. Um, when you take out student loans one day, maybe, um, when you finish paying back those loans, that is, you have reconciled your loan. You have made your loan right again. And Jesus is in the business of reconciling people, of clearing the slate, and putting His righteousness on top of them. And we get to be the ambassadors. Like, we have this invitation to be an agent of rescue. And I start to get nervous when I think of how we've missed who we're supposed to be. I start to get sad when I think of how we're missing out. And how God wants you to feel so deeply loved by him. And he also wants the people beside you to feel so deeply loved by him. And I fear that we miss out getting to be the agents of rescue through God by not clarifying what our true mission is. It is true that God has called you to be exactly where you are, okay? So if you're longing to be somewhere different, we know from Scripture God is called to be where you are. But it's also true that it's vitally important to grasp that the reason He has put you there is why. What's your purpose? To point others to Jesus, right? The point of your life is to point people to Christ. And so don't settle in, don't live your life in comfort and in superficial peace, but rather clarify your mentality of who you're called to love. Clarify the message of this beautiful exchange that we get to share, and then clarify your mission of why it is where you are. And so here's how we're going to end this time. Uh, For the next three minutes, we're going to stay quiet and we're going to pray. And I actually want you to write in your journal um, while you do that as many people who you know who don't believe. Like, write them all out. All of them. Um, and, And I want you to start to think through your day. Is where is it that God has put you That if you were to just open your mind a little bit, you could recognize that God has actually put you there to bring his presence into that space. That God has actually put you there to bring the light into darkness. That God has actually put you there that other people might recognize God's love. That God might have put you there that the angels can get lit. So take the next three minutes um, and pray and, and write down as many of those names as you can. One last thought. One last story and then we'll talk about microsearch for this week for a little bit. But how would your there's this scene in scripture that happens where where God is on his throne and he separates the sheep and the goats, it says. And and the sheep get to inherit eternal life and, and the goats don't in this passage. And there's a lot that we could talk about. I'm not actually gonna go into a ton of it now, but but what God says in that moment is is the sheep over here, you're the people who loved me when I was poor. Who loved me when I was oppressed. Who loved me when I was broken. Who loved me when I was naked. Who loved me when I was blind. And so how would your life change if you actually thought of each person who was poor in this aspect of not knowing God's love for them. If you looked at them as they were Jesus. And it was your opportunity to serve them. Final story. Final story. The guy who hired me here at Northland, his name was Chad Turnbull. A lot of you know him. I tried to get him to come, um, but that didn't happen this time. We'll do it in the future. But he was at Lyman High School and he was on the basketball team. Um, and he had just moved here um, because of his parents' separation uh, with his mom from Kentucky. And it was his senior year at Lyman High School. and. The only kid he knew on his basketball team in fourth period was this Puerto Rican guy. So he would go and he'd sit with him at lunch. And actually the whole table would speak Spanish. And so he didn't know Spanish. Uh, so he would sit there by himself and eat his lunch. And then one day in physics class, um, this girl Luna turned around to him and said, Hey, Chad, you look really lonely. And it hit him. Because you, you don't notice that people look lonely in physics class. But he was, like deep down, he was incredibly lonely and she was obviously being observant. She was actually noticing the people who God called her to love around them and she invited him to Church. This is like 30 years ago. Um, at, from Lyman High School and, and she got invited to the, he got invited to this home of people who were gathering and he didn't really know everything that happened there um, but through that experience he went to school the next day and as he was walking to the lunchroom he ran into someone else who was at that microchurch that night and they invited him to sit with them at the lunch table and Chad's life was changed forever. Like, Chad is now, like, he's, he's led the church. He led this youth group a number of years ago um, for a number of years. Uh, he was my older brother's youth pastor. So I was too young when I was here um, for him to be there. But, but I want you to know people's, like, it's real stories. Um, and so my challenge for you this week is just to notice, to open your eyes and, and love people well and point them to Jesus. Thoughts, questions, discussion.